today. Um, she's still, uh, she had her tonsils out Friday, so she's still a little bit, she's still recovering. So Lindsay's at home with her, so that's why Theodore's here with me and Charlotte's not. Um, continued prayers for her uh, recovery through that. How is everybody this morning? Do we have a good God? Amen? Amen. All right. Good. I like to hear that. Why don't we go to him in prayer, and then we'll go to his word. Father God, we thank you and we praise you for this day, this glorious day that you've given us. We thank you for the beautiful weather outside that you've given us. We thank you for the the full house we have in here tonight. We thank you for the kids, and we thank you for your word Father, we just ask that as we dive into your word today, that you would soften our hearts, that you would open our ears to know what you want us to know and to do what you want us to do, Lord. We just ask that you would give us the wisdom and discernment that we need to not only just hear your word, but to obey your word. Father, I ask that you would be with me today as I prepare and deliver your word, that my words would be clear and concise. I ask that you would be with the hearers today, that they would be able to take in your word. And we thank you for your son Jesus and the sacrifice that he did for us. And we pray all of this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. And the church said, amen. Amen. All right. We're wrapping up on our Exodus series today. The last day of the book of Exodus. And so what I want to do really quickly is I want to just kind of give us a broad 30,000-foot airplane view recap of this journey that we've taken through the book of Exodus. We opened up in chapter 1, 430 years after the book of Genesis ended. The Israelites had found themselves in Egypt under the good graces of Pharaoh, through Joseph. They were living comfortably. They had a good relationship with the Pharaoh in Egypt. But after 430 years, after time, one king rose and fell, and another rose and fell, till eventually they were forgotten about. After about half a millennium, the the Pharaoh did not know Joseph. He didn't care about the Israelites, and so he started to oppress them. He started to use them to build up his empire, to build up his military outposts and his store cities, and employed them as slave laborers. He subjected them to backbreaking labor. He committed atrocities against them. He committed infanticide against them. And God noticed. It got bad enough that God noticed and God decided to step in and intervene by saving one boy, Moses. God leads Moses into the desert. He calls them, him on this mission to deliver his people out of slavery, to redeem his people, to uphold the promises that he made to Abraham. So Moses goes back and he tells the Pharaoh, this is what God has said. You need to let my people go so that they may worship their God. And Pharaoh refuses. And he ends up getting in this toe-to-toe battle with the Lord. And by toe-to-toe, I mean God just wipes the floor with him. God takes all of 
Pharaoh's gods, his idols, and basically just shows him that they are worthless. And he delivers Pharaoh out through the Red Sea. He destroys the army of the most powerful empire on the planet. And then our story starts to go downhill a little bit. Because these Israelites that God delivered, that God saved, actually start to crave their oppression. God supplies for their physical needs and their spiritual needs, but they need, they want to be oppressed by Pharaoh because living a life of comfortable oppression they thought was better than living a life of obedience to God. But God doesn't allow that to happen. He takes them out. He shows them how to be people of God. He delivers the law to them, and he makes a declaration. He says, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. That's the declaration God made to the Israelites. You are going to be my kingdom. And then he gives them the ground rules. What does it look like to be in the kingdom of God? He gives them the law. Not only that, but he promises to Moses that he is actually going to live with them. So despite all of the disobedience, despite everything the Israelites did, again and again and again, God is on a mission to be in a relationship with these people. That's that's the book of Exodus. That's the point of it. God is on a mission. God has a task, and he will carry it out. Despite the Israelites, despite their complaining, despite their disobedience. And so what I want us to read about today is Exodus chapter 40. This is the culmination of God's plan. And I want to I impress upon you just how important this book is. Not only is it rich with theology, not only does it explain to us so much about the nature of God, not only does it foreshadow so much about Christ, but for the people of Israel, this was probably the most important book in the Old Testament. This was the book that set the stage for the people of Israel becoming a nation. This was the book that set the stage for what the law was, who God was. This is the beginning of the Bible in the sense that you can kind of think of Genesis as like the prequel. And Exodus is the point where God steps into history and says, now I'm going to work through people, and develop this nation. Tells the story of how God recognizes our suffering. He acts in our midst. He's able to outsmart the most powerful people in the world and perform miracles. But it also tells us how he reconciles us to him how we are lost and he brings us in, makes us his chosen people, how he responds to disobedience, how he makes his presence known. And so what we're going to read in the history of the people of Israel 
is the culmination of all of those things, and it's going to kind of end on a cliffhanger. He's getting ready to lead the Israelites into the promised land. And so I would love, if you have your Bible, if you have your phone app, if you have a printed out copy, or whatever you like to read God's Word in, I don't care, but open up to Exodus chapter 40, and we're going to start in verse 1. Verse 1 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Set up the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, on the first day of the first month. Okay, right now, if you're a note taker, if you're a highlighter, if you have a scratch piece of paper, I want you to circle those words on the first day of the first month. Write it down, Exodus chapter 40, verse 2, make a note, we're going to come back to that. That's important. I'll explain that a little bit later. He says, place the Ark of the Covenant law in it and shield the Ark with the curtain. Bring the table and set out what belongs on it. Then bring in the lampstand and set up its lamps. Place the gold altar of incense in front of the Ark of the Covenant law and put the curtain at the entrance to the tabernacle. Place the altar of burnt offering in front of the entrance to the tabernacle, the tent of meeting. Place the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it. Set up the courtyard around it and put the curtain at the entrance to the courtyard. Take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and everything in it. Consecrate it and all its furnishings, and it will be holy. Then anoint the altar of the burnt offering and all its utensils. Consecrate the altar, and it will be most holy. Anoint the basin and its stand and consecrate them. Bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and wash them with water. Then dress Aaron in the sacred garments. Anoint him and consecrate him so that he may serve me as priest. Bring his sons and dress them in tunics. Anoint them just as you have anointed their father so that they may serve me as priests. Their anointing will be a priesthood that will continue throughout their generations. So this is the point everyone has been waiting for. Ever since God brought the Israelites out of Egypt, he's been telling them, I will make you a nation. I will make you a kingdom. I will live among you. And we're at the moment that everyone has been waiting for. Because remember, everything we've read about the tabernacle up until this point has either been instructions about how to build it or how they did build it, but they hadn't set it up yet. They were setting up the place where God was finally going to live among them. And Moses did everything just as the Lord had commanded him. He did everything right. He set up the table. He set up the altar. He set up the candles. He set up the, the garments for the priests. He did all of those things and made those preparations. And in verse 33 we read, then Moses set up the courtyard around the tabernacle and put up the curtain at the entrance to the courtyard. And so Moses finished the work. Think about how important this is. This is going to be God's house. This is going to be the place where the Spirit of the Lord exists and lives in the tabernacle among the people. This is a big deal. And so Moses is making these final touches, and they're all just waiting 
to see what's going to happen. Who here has ever worked on, like, an electrical outlet or something electrical in the house? Okay. If you're safe about it, you probably go and flip the breaker, right? My dad never did that, and it drove my mom crazy. He would work on stuff live. But you're safe about it. You go flip the breaker, but you have no way of knowing that you did it right because the breaker's off. I had to fix our dryer a week ago because it had a blown fuse on it. And that's 220. That's like big shock time. You... So I, I went and I flipped the breaker and then I unplugged the outlet from the wall and I pulled the dryer out and I had got back behind there and I got all the screws and took the back panel off and I, I found the fuse that I needed to replace and I unscrewed it and I pulled the wires off. I made sure everything was right. I went, took that little fuse Went down to the hardware store and said, I need one of these, and they gave me one. I came back, put it all together, lost like three screws underneath the dryer, couldn't find the right bits. You know how those things go. But I got it all put together. I put the fuse in. I put the back panel on. Plugged it in, and I went over to the breaker switch, and there was that moment oh man, I hope I did that right. I had no way of knowing if I did it right other than just trusting that I followed instructions properly, that I read the wiring diagram to make sure I was pulling the right wires from the right place correctly. But until I threw that breaker and pushed that button, I wouldn't know if it was going to run or be dead on arrival or burn my apartment down. That's, there's a little bit of anticipation, no matter how many times you've done it. There's that little bit of anticipation where you go, oh, I hope this works. I want you to imagine that kind of anticipation as Moses is setting up the last curtain. God's got a lot more power than a 220 outlet. You better hope you do things right. So right before he sets up this moment, there's that anticipation. And this is what happens in verse 34. It says, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. He says, In all the travels of the Israelites... Whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and the fire was in the cloud by night, in the sight of all the Israelites during their travels. So it worked. They put the wires together the right way. They had power. They did it right. But it wasn't because of anything in particular that the Israelites did. The glory of getting to live with God wasn't a reward for their good behavior. Because if, as we've read through this book, I can count like two good things the Israelites did. Maybe. Like in chapter 
15, they sang a really nice song to God. That was good. And then in chapters 35 through 39, they followed the instructions correctly on how to build the tabernacle. That's, that's about it. As far as redeeming qualities, good things that they did, that's it. They sang a nice song and they followed some instructions. But other than that, like they really didn't do anything to deserve God's presence. Because God's presence is not conditioned on our behavior. It's a condition of his mercy for us, of his goodness. God doesn't love you because you do good things any more than he doesn't love you because you do bad things. That's not how God works. God loves you because he is good. We're talking about Palm Sunday today with our scripture Jesus rode into Jerusalem knowing that he was going to die. He displayed his love for us, not because we did anything right, but because we did everything wrong and he needed to fix it. That's what I want you to understand about the book of Exodus. If you walk away with one thing, I want you to walk away knowing God is so good. God is so good, and he loves us out of his mercy. I want you to go back to that verse I told you to circle. Verse 2. Set up the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, on the first day of the first month. Anybody want to guess why I made such a big deal about that? Let's look at Exodus chapter 12. Turn back to Exodus 12. Verse 2. This is when God is instituting the Passover, when he's delivering the people out of Egypt. He says, this month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. This is the point where God has instituted the Passover. So we're a year later in setting up the tabernacle. And then in verse 14, thank you. In verse 14, he says, This is a day you are to commemorate for the generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. Have the Israelites... Oh, that was the wrong one. Sorry. Have the Israelites celebrate the Passover at the appointed time. Celebrate it at the appointed time at twilight on the 14th day of this month in accordance with all the rules and regulations. Okay, so is everybody okay with the timeline of where we are with setting up the tabernacle? We're a year later now. God says, set it up on the first day of the first month. So chronologically, if we're reading this, the next place we would go would be Numbers. Okay, so they're going to they're gonna set up this tabernacle. They, they took a census to make sure they knew how many people were there. They got all of their sacrifices set up and all of the right things to be ready. And then in Numbers chapter 9, that's what I just read. That's where we go. In Numbers chapter 9, that's what we read. Have the people celebrate the Passover. 
So in the midst of all of this setup, all of this anticipation, setting up this tabernacle, they had about two seconds to go, that worked. And then they had work to do again. They had to get ready for this Passover festival. There are two things they needed to do. Number one, they needed to go and start removing all of the leaven, all of the yeast from their households. And the second thing they needed to do was pick out a lamb to be slaughtered for the Passover. Exodus 12, 3 says, Tell the whole community of Israel, Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Okay, I wish I had a big calendar on here. So day one, they set up the tabernacle. Day 10, they pick out a lamb. Day 14 into 15 at sundown, because the new day starts at sundown, that's when the Passover begins. Okay, has everyone kind of, you got this two-week timeline, day one, day 10, you pick out the lamb, day 15 is when you celebrate it. They would go out into their fields, they would pick out a lamb, a perfect lamb, a spotless lamb, and they would bring it in from the fields. Remember, it had to be perfect. So they would bring it in so that they could preserve and protect this lamb so that it would remain spotless until it was time for the, the Passover. They didn't want coyotes getting to it. They didn't want it getting hurt and getting a bum leg because then it wouldn't work anymore as a Passover lamb. Five days, no injuries, no blemishes. They would bring this lamb in and take care of it. Okay, now I want you to go to John chapter 12. John 12 says, six days before the Passover, got your timeline right? Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. And then jump down to verse 12. The next day, the crowd, the great crowd that had come for the festival had heard Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. The very next day, the 10th of the month, Jesus enters into Jerusalem. It says, they took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. As it is written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. See, Jesus was fulfilling two separate prophecies when he came in on Palm Sunday. Number one was the Davidic 
prophecy, the prophecy that Jesus would be a king from the line of David. That was the one. That was the one that everybody recognized. Hosanna, great is he, blessed is the one who came in the name of the Lord. He is our king. But there was another one. He was fulfilling the Passover. He was outside of the city and came in for five days to be inside the city as the lamb prepared to be slaughtered. And all those people who were waving those branches and throwing their coats down on the road and shouting praises for the king, they got the one right. They recognized that he was the Messiah. They recognized that he was the king. They thought he was going to be the one who freed them from Roman oppression. They saw him as someone who was going to provide for their physical needs. But they had no idea that he was coming to redeem them from sin. To die on a cross, to take away the sins of the world. They didn't recognize that. See, every single one of those people, after they got done doing that, went out, and guess what they did? They went out and picked out a lamb to be slaughtered for Passover. Not knowing that God had already selected the perfect lamb and brought him into the city to prepare him for the Passover. So as we, as we wrap up on our Exodus series, as we think about how the book of Exodus fits in the whole story of the Bible, we see these words again and again and again, so that you will know that I am God. And I want you to think about the fact that Jesus entered specifically on that day for a reason. He entered on the day that the lambs were chosen for a reason so that we would know that he is God. And that's what I want you to understand from this book. I want you to know that he's God. I want you to recognize God's authority in your life. I want you to recognize the working of the Holy Spirit within you. I want you to know that he sees your suffering just like he did the Israelites. That he wants to redeem you just like he did the Israelites. That he wants to make you into a royal kingdom just like he did the Israelites. He wants to guide your thoughts and actions and he wants to dwell within your midst so that you will know that he is the Lord of your life. Our sermon's not over, but I want to take a moment and go to God in prayer about that. Father God, we just, we want you to be Lord of our life. We want you to rule over our lives as king. God, I want to pray over every single person in this room today that you would be Lord of their life, that you would control their thoughts, that you would control their actions, that you would control their hearts, that you would see their suffering and redeem them, that you would make us into a royal kingdom of priests, that you would dwell within us. 
God, when you sent your son, he came into the city knowing he was going to die, and he did it, not because we were good, because you're so good. And we just, we just want to express our gratitude for how good you are, Lord. Because we can't do this on our own. We need you. And we thank you. And we love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I want us to shift gears really quickly before I sing our song of invitation. And I want to talk about where we're going to go from here through our sermons as a church, what we're going to study through the Bible. So next week, we're going to have an Easter service. We're going to celebrate the risen Lord. Amen? Amen. That's right. He is risen. We're going to do things not a little bit differently. It's going to be very, very, very differently next week. So number one, the first thing you need to know, 10 o'clock be here, not 1030. 10 o'clock. Because we're going to have church back there around the table as a family. And so I want you to come at 10 if you're going to help cook breakfast, if you're going to help get stuff set up. We can have a little bit of time to sit and enjoy our meal. And then about 10.30, we're going to start church. It's weird to call it church when we're eating a meal together, but that's what it is. So we're going to start church, or we're going to have a a message from the Word. We're going to sing some songs. We're going to take the Lord's Supper around the table. And there's two things I need you to know about that. Number one, I think it's important that we do things like this. Because we're a family, and I want us to do things that families do. And number two, I think it's really important to recognize that this is what the first century church looked like. When they met together for church, it didn't look like this. It looked a lot more like that. They would recline around together for a meal. They would sing hymns and songs and praises together. They would take the Lord's Supper around a meal. They would hear an exhortation from the Word in the household setting as a family. And so I really want us to emulate that next week for Easter. There's a couple things that you need to do, though, because we're not going to have a schedule per se. It's going to be a little bit more spontaneous, a little bit more impromptu. And so if there's a passage of Scripture that really speaks into your life that you want the church to hear, I want you to come prepared with that. If there's a a devotional or a reading that you really want the church to hear, I want you to bring that and be prepared to read that. If there's a song that you want us to sing that really speaks to you about our risen Lord and Savior, I want you to bring those things and be prepared, or at least know the words to those songs so that you can lead us in praise. So don't come next week expecting us to have a slideshow and a prepared order of service. And, you know, other than my message that I'm going to give, everything's going to kind of be as a family. So please, if you want to sing the old rugged cross, bring the old rugged cross or memorize the words to the old rugged cross or tell me so that I can print out the words to the old rugged cross and hand them out. Whatever you want to do, but be prepared for that because we're not going to have, it's going to be more impromptu. Um, 
And then after that, after the book of Easter, I want to give you a little bit of a sneak preview of what we're going to study next. We've been talking about God's kingdom, how in Exodus he says, I'm going to make you into a royal kingdom, and we're going to flow right into the book of Matthew. We're going to be looking at what God's kingdom looks like when Christ comes. What are the values of his kingdom? What does the king like? What does the king want us to do? How can we be servants in the kingdom? So be ready for that. If you want to start reading the book of Matthew now, please do. If you have any cool books that you like about the book of Matthew, bring those to me. If you have any questions about something in the book of Matthew that you've always wondered, bring those to me and I'll answer them in our messages. If there's something you're like, oh, this verse, I never understood this. Like, Let me know so that I can address those things and we can talk about it. So be ready for that. It's going to be a lot of fun. I think next week's going to be a lot of fun. And with that, I would like to sing our song of invitation. <laughs>